name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I can't see whether I'm making sound or not. It's very disconcerting. Perhaps one of my colleagues in church could look on Facebook and see what the comments say. Um, I'm all worried now. Anyway, I hope you're doing well today. And this reading is one of those readings which, of course, is been there, done that, got the T-shirt because if you have never seen a t-shirt or a mug or a bumper sticker with John 3.16 on, I would challenge you to pay a little bit more attention to life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and you know the rest. You may have guessed from the fact that I'm zoning in on this that perhaps I'm not going to go on how wonderful this is. It's a great verse. It's wonderful that God loves us so much. We're stuck on this translation of it, and it could be a bit different, but we're not going to worry about that. Because it still means the same thing. God loves us so much that God acts. Of course, this verse is in the context of a conversation with Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee who comes to Jesus by night. And that's really important. By night is kind of that. I love this. Every time I preach on it, it's kind of like, da-da-da. Anyway. So he comes to Jesus by night. Obviously, he's curious. He doesn't come because he wants to cause problems. It seems he comes because he's genuinely curious. And so Jesus has already said this thing of the wind blows where it will. And uh, actually, it was funny on Facebook last night. Someone in the Episcopal, Episcopal Communicators group linked that bit of the reading in and said the internet does what it will, the internet blows where it will, as they desperately ran around their church resetting everything. Anyway, that kind of makes sense. But the bit we have starts with Moses, with this story of Moses lifting up the serpent in the wilderness. This would have been a really um, common, this is a story that Nicodemus would have known inside out, of course, being a Pharisee. Poisonous steaks, Moses has a, a bronze snake, snake on a stick, and that prevents people, anyone who hasn't already been bitten and died from being bitten and dying. Now, that's not a particularly lovely story in many ways. And interestingly, the very instrument of death, the snake, is also the instrument of life, the bronze snake. So just have that kind of floating around in the back of your head that the very thing that is killing them is exactly what's going to save them. And so when Jesus continues talking, Nicodemus is making these links. Nicodemus is understanding much more than we do the complexity and depth of this whole story, this whole narrative of Moses and how God interacts with the people of Israel before they reach the promised land. And it's important to do that. It's important to think who Jesus is talking to. Because I don't want to cuss in church, but in John's gospel, Jesus is quite often a so-and-so. He isn't nice. He isn't polite. He's abrasive. At times, it seems like he's picking arguments. A lot of us like John because it's kind of esoteric and floaty. But if you actually pay attention to Jesus, he's really quite abrupt. You know, the next chapter, the wedding in Cana, he's like, woman, leave me alone. It's not like, mom, go away. It's actually quite strong. And here, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee, and what does he say? 
He says, those who will not follow me are condemned. He makes a legal argument. Those who won't follow me are condemned. Those who do inherit eternal life. This is heresy. This is, it would just inflame almost everyone. Of course, Nicodemus somehow does not get put off by this, and he turns up twice more in John's gospel. By the end of the gospel, he has made a journey to faith. But a lot of people would have just got up and stomped out. And not only is he rude to all the Pharisees, of whom Nicodemus is a part, he's rude to Nicodemus because he says, those that do deeds of darkness, do them in the dark, and those who are righteous live in the light. It's nighttime. Nicodemus is there. He needs to move on. There is no kind of cushioning to this. And yet we put it on t-shirts. We choose the piece we like, we turn it into a product, and we pretty much ignore the rest unless we make the rest to say that people who are not in our club are going to hell. Never would I say that, people who are not in our club are going to hell. But that's the kind of, we set up this false dichotomy between 3.16, where everything's right and God loves us, and then the rest of the passage where suddenly God's this tyrant who wants to go around punishing people. Do not think that's what it says. I think what it says is to Nicodemus, in context, this is the argument. In context, this is how it works. You're a Pharisee. If Nicodemus had been a doctor, Jesus might have used medical metaphors. If he'd been a child, he might have talked about toys. Does that mean that the kingdom of heaven is a rag doll that we all must carry around teddy bears? No, of course not. It means that Jesus is talking to the person he is talking to in a way that they understand. And we take that, as we've said before, we take that as stuck. And it makes it worse when we turn one verse into a product. Now, I'm not claiming I know exactly what this means. In fact, this year... I kind of have been thinking during this week, I usually start the sermon on a Monday, and just all week I've been thinking, I really don't have time. I can't get to grips with this passage in a week. Of course I've had forever to do that, but the point being that the last time I preached on it, I was thinking differently to this time, because it's a process, it's a journey. It's not a product. When I take one verse and kind of, put it in a box and seal it up and say, well, that's really good, God loves me. That's what that means. Then all the verses around it have real trouble moving on and making sense. And the Bible is not about putting verses on shelves as ornaments and then kind of struggling with the rest. The Bible is about seeing the whole thing, this whole salvation history, this whole history of how Jesus has interacted with humanity. Some of it is not very nice. But at the end of the day, the story is always the same, and that is that God loves us. Now, if you want a picture or a cup, just put God loves me. God loves us. God loves everyone. That's always universally true, right? But be careful about so preciously holding on to verses that come out of a larger context. So what would Jesus be saying to us? Well, I think it would probably be slightly different for each of us. 
And I, I kind of, in the back of my mind, think, really, would he have a go at us right now? Would he really be this abrupt and rude after a year of nastiness and chaos? I don't know. It's just me protecting myself from any kind of big God swats around the head, I think. But what would Jesus say? What is the ultimate journey of the disciple? Light? Jesus says that here. But if we go on to the Last Supper, if we go on to do this in remembrance of me, if we go on to I command you, we have those two great actions. That action of utter self-pouring out, that action of humility, that action of service in the washing of the feet in John. And we need to look in John because this is in John. And John's story is very um, tightly, it goes together. So this life poured out in service. And then this idea of the Last Supper, this idea of communion, this idea of, of sharing in Christ's mystical body and blood somehow, of union with Christ, of union with God. That's, that's what it is. Love other people, love each other, love yourself. All of that is bound up in that long Last Supper piece of teaching in John. And by the way, when I say a life poured out in service, I am not necessarily talking about servant leadership because there's some serious flaws in that theory. So please don't hear those things as the same, the same thing. Lives poured out in service might look very different from, <coughs> for some people, it's going to be standing up and shouting at people to, to try and get justice and to rectify, wrong, rectify wrongs. So I think we just need to be careful. Do not make ornaments out of pieces of the Bible. Do not stick them in time. Do not say, oh, I've had this since I was 16, and it's still exactly the same as it was then, because that's a product, not a process. Look at the whole passage and see how that ties together for you today. And it might be the most wonderful thing ever, and it might be a gut punch. Both are part of our journeys. And part, I think, of our reluctance to delve deep into Scripture is that we know we're going to be discomforted by it. We know suddenly the T-shirt doesn't work anymore. What would you put on a T-shirt from the Bible to actually change the world? Maybe that piece from Isaiah, I desire, um, uh, what is that? Not, when, when Isaiah says God doesn't want sacrifice, he wants people to feed the poor, to clothe the homeless and all those things. Perhaps that would change the world on a t-shirt. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Who knows? But I think it needs to be deeply unsettling and not pseudo-comforting. Anyway, that's my thoughts for the day. Sorry to uh, not stroke John 3.16 like a fluffy cat. It's wonderful. God loves us. God loves us so much that God acts on our behalf. But that's not the end of the story. And this is Lent. There's a reason this is here during Lent. And it's not just because it's the fourth Sunday and we all need a break. Litere Sunday. That easing of the strictness of Lent. It's for us to chew on 
So please choose, enjoy, even if sometimes it's difficult. Amen. <laughs>